Wow. What's up, Saw Company? Uh, honestly, don't really know how to follow that up. That was a, an amazing introduction. I, if you get to know me, I hope I, hope I live up to that. That's a, a big call, but uh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, it's really sweet to be here with you guys tonight. Um, we're going to be opening up to Acts and continuing our series through Acts. We're going to be looking at Acts 7. Um, yeah, and so as we've seen through this series, we're just walking through the, the history of the early church. And what we're seeing is these young, inexperienced, average men come and start this movement of God. It's these, these disciples of Jesus who have seen the miracles that he's performed, all leading up to his death and the greatest miracle of all, raising from the dead, and they're just in awe of him. There's nothing special about them, but they've just seen something special in God. And as we're walking through this series, I, I, I'm reminded that history can be kind of boring sometimes. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm kind of a nerd, so I, I geek out about history. So this is exciting for me, but might not be as exciting for you guys. Uh, but what I want to remind you guys is that the past actually has an influence on who we are today, and it actually can speak into the problems that we're having, the, the struggles that we're going through. It has an authoritative word about exactly what you're living through. Um, and so as I was prepping this sermon, I was, I was thinking through some of the, my own past, and I was quite the clumsy, stupid little kid. <laughs> I haven't fully grown out of it yet, uh, but... I was reminded of this story of my dad. Um, my dad, growing up, would brush my teeth for me when I was really young. Not, not anymore. <laughs> uh, but he, he would brush my teeth, and, and I was so, so over it. <laughs> I just wanted to brush my own teeth. So I'd kind of be half pulling away as he was trying to brush my teeth. So he'd half hold me down, half, half be brush, brushing my teeth. And I remember this particular time when he was brushing my teeth, and I was especially over it that day. Um, and so I was just pulling away from him. I just like really wanted to be done brushing my teeth. I was like, God, Dad, that's enough. You got them well enough. I'm out of here. Um, and yeah, he accidentally uh, loosened up his grip a little bit on me. And so I turned to freedom and I ran and <clears throat> smacked into the corner of a cabinet and busted my head open. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the pain of disobedience. <laughs> uh, yeah. My, my comfort in that moment was not anything that I had in myself, but it was that my dad was right by my side. And my dad didn't turn from me in that moment. I mean, we, had, we ended up having to go to the hospital at like midnight, and yet he was still by my side the entire time. And that was what I had my comfort in, that my, my dad didn't give up on me. I ran away from him, but he ran right back after me. And guys, that's who God is. That's his heart for you. We, we turn in disobedience to him. We, we run away from him. We are unfaithful to him, yet he runs right back after us. He's not disgusted by your sin. He's not disappointed in you but he is faithful to you. He wants your heart. He wants you, even when you turn and run from him. And so tonight, we're going to open up Acts chapter 7, 
and see the story of Stephen. And Stephen is this man who's, who's filled up with the power of God. And he's this servant in the early church. Guys, he's not even like the main guy in the church. He's, he's this servant, this disciple who's just feeding the people. <laughs> and what we're going to see tonight, we're going to be jumping around in the text a little bit, but we're going to look at the unfaithfulness of man, the complete faithfulness of God, and the fulfillment of faithfulness in Christ. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be opening up to Acts 7, and we're going to be starting in verse 2, starting with humanity's unfaithfulness. So it starts, Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. After this, his father died, and God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. So let me give some context to what's happening here. Stephen is pulled in front of these, these people called the, the Sanhedrins. Now, I know that's a, a big word that's probably unfamiliar to most of you guys, but these are like the most powerful people in Israel at the time. And these are actually the same people who Tony mentioned last week were these religious elites that dragged Peter and John and were accusing them of preaching this false gospel. And so to think of a modern representative, think of a mixture of the Senate and the Pope, all mixed into one. Now imagine they had stones right next to them, ready to kill you, and you had to give your defense before them. A little scary. (laughs) Uh, but, but Stephen does something strange. He, he starts his defense in a strange way. He, he begins by recounting to them the story of the people of Israel. He starts with the beginning, with Abraham, the father of Israel. And from the beginning of the story, we, we see the people of God are turning from God. And so in the text we just looked at, we see that God has promised Abraham all these amazing things. He's promised him land. He's promised him he will be this great nation. He's brought him into his plan. He has brought him into this plan that will affect the whole world, will affect all of history. And so we look at this man and we're like, that is a man who would follow God, right? <laughs> like, if anybody were to follow God, it'd be this man who, who God has given all of history over to the man of promise, a man who has heard from God himself. He's been offered the most significant thing in the world, to be a part of what God is doing. Yet, even though God has promised all these things, what we see is not extreme reverence to God. What we see is disobedience. Abraham doesn't go all the way into the land that God tells him to. If we look closely, he stops in Haran. He's like, God, I'm glad you offered that up, but I'm going to stop early. (laughs) I'm not going to make it quite there. And as we continue in the story, we see the same thing repeated over and over again. And as Stephen continues, he, 
he talks about the grandkids of Abraham, these men called the patriarchs. And maybe, maybe you don't know who those are, but one of them is Joseph. And he's this, this man who's filled up with the Spirit, and, and God's telling him all these amazing things that, that his brothers will bow down to him and worship him, and he will be king over them. And his brothers see this, and they, they're filled up with jealousy. They're not going according to God's plan, but they are trying to take over and bring about their own plan. And so we see this continued rejection of God. This, this story is not a story of, of people hearing from God and going right after it. <laughs> no, we see, we see continued disobedience in the people of God. And so remember that Stephen is talking to the religious elites of his time. And he's recounting the story of Israel as if they don't know it. We, we might not be completely familiar with the history of Israel here tonight, but the people that he is talking to would literally have learned this from the youngest age that they were able to learn. They would basically have this tattooed on the inside of their brain. So why is he telling this story? Why is he repeating this history to the pe- very people who would be teaching it to others? Imagine me going to this famous historian on the Civil War and going and saying, hey, have you ever heard of this man named Abraham Lincoln? He was like this great guy who who gave a speech that went four scores and seven years ago. How ridiculous would that be? He, He would even either be thinking two things. He'd be thinking I was playing some dumb joke that made no sense on him, or he'd think I was so full of myself that I thought I was better than him, that I knew better. So why is Stephen rejecting this knowledge of the people he's talking to? Why is he repeating this history as if they don't know it? Wouldn't he be so prideful to think he knows the history of Israel better than the people who would be teaching this to others? But he's not just giving a history lesson. He's, he's trying to show the people that he's talking to their very hearts. And he, he's doing that by pointing to the past, pointing to what God has revealed throughout history to say, this is the nature of man. This isn't just your nature, but it is all of man's nature to reject God and to turn from him. He's trying to convince the leaders of their own sin and disobedience by reminding them that that has been the story of Israel from the beginning. And what Stephen is telling those men still holds true today. If you are a human being, it holds true to you. Even if we claim to know God and honor him as God, we are sinful people. And we continue to turn away from the beautiful truths that he has revealed. But Stephen doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop at the patriarchs. He continues recounting the story of Israel. And he continues into the Exodus story. The story of the people being brought out of the land of Egypt where they were slaves. And what they end up doing is, is God miraculously saves them from this slavery. And they turn around and worship idols rather than him. 
for the very thing that he did in saving them. They, they worship other beings for that same thing. And man, I feel like that sometimes. I don't know about you guys, but I, I do this on a daily basis. I, I have a closet full of idols in my life. And guys, I'm not weird. I don't have actual like physical idols. I, I, I don't have a bunch of idols made out of precious metals. I, that's just not my thing. Um, but I think we think because we don't have physical idols, we don't have any idols. We think they're not a problem because we can't physically see them with our eyes. But the, the problem is that we're still putting our faith and trust in things that can't provide, that can't deliver. Guys, God has promised us so many amazing things. Joy that will never end. Strength to overcome the battle. But best of all, he promises his continual presence and his continual love for us. Even when we fail. But instead of taking God up on our promises, we continue to turn from him to our own ways. We turn to our, our, our boyfriend or our girlfriend, hoping that they'll be enough for us. We, we turn to our body, but we're never skinny enough. We're never fit enough. We turn to the affirmation of fans or followers, but there's never enough praise. We turn to success, but we never reach the top. The problem isn't that we don't have enough of our idol. The problem is that we're putting our trust in the wrong thing. We're trying to fill a God-sized hole with an idol that just doesn't live up. Guys, have you ever noticed that the people we look up to are sometimes the most unhappy? I mean, have you ever questioned why why Tom Brady always needs another ring. Why, why the beauty queen can't stop having plastic surgery. Why, why the rock star is addicted to drugs. Why, why the celebrity is filled with depression. We were made for God and we try and fill it with idols that, that can never deliver. And it just leads us broken and in need. Guys, one of the hardest things for me growing up was realizing that I'm not magical. <laughs> no, 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 seriously. It was a really hard lesson to learn at 18. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, it's 15. <laughs> but I always had this dream that, that if I just focused hard enough, that I could just like control things with my mind. So, so I'd kind of walk around and and try and test it out with the wind. I kind of like secretly try and be controlling things and <laughs> be walking home from school and trying to hide it, just like. <laughs> yeah. But why? why? Why was I trying to hide that? Because it would be ridiculous to think I could control the wind. People would think I was absolutely insane. But some of us go about our lives acting as if we have the power to be faithful to God. 
And it's actually as ridiculous as saying that I have the power to control the wind. But we show up to C group and, and as others are confessing their sins, we say, I'm good. I did good this week. I was faithful. But the reality is we all have that unfaithfulness in us. It's part of our very DNA. And we're just trying to hide from that reality. Guys, even the, the very chosen people of God were unfaithful to him. These are the very people that God chose out of all of the nations to, to bear his name, to be a part of his plan and his promise, to accomplish his purposes. The Bible is not a story of perfect people that we should live up to. It's a story of broken, hurting people, and it, it actually reveals the brokenness inside of us. It's so harshly accurate with how broken humanity is. Yet it's the same sinful, disobedient people that God decides to partner with. He, he calls them out of the depth of their brokenness, in the middle of it, and decides to partner with them. He doesn't just start with telling us what to do. He starts by giving us an identity of holy and loved. And out of that identity, he calls us into his plan and his purposes because he knows they're good. Guys, you in your sin are walking on a bridge. Between this world and the next, and the, at the bottom is this deep cavern. And you can hold onto the bridge as hard as you want. With all of your strength, you can grab onto that bridge. But if the bridge is not secure, it doesn't matter at all. It is the strength of the bridge underneath you that matters, not the strength of your ability to hold on. And that bridge is whatever you are putting your faith in. And guys, God is a strong bridge. He is a faithful bridge. And he will hold you to the end. But the idols that you're putting your trust in are not. They will fail you over and over again. It doesn't matter how strongly you're holding on to those idols, they will crumble and fall. But God is that faithful bridge. And so we see that, that God is never-endingly faithful. Look with me to, to verse 30. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came a vo the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you into Egypt. And just as the story of Israel is this continued story of the people's brokenness and their, their unfaithfulness to God, 
it is also a story of God's continued faithfulness. We see vividly in Moses' experience what, what is unrecognizable in most of our own lives. What is harder to see in the rest of history. That God is faithful to his promise and redeems his people out of the consequences of their sin and disobedience. Even though the people of God are stuck in slavery because of their sin, God has planned good things for them. God is all-knowing, meaning he already knows that those very people that he is saving will turn around and worship other gods as soon as he lets them out. But that doesn't stop him from being faithful. He saves them even knowing that they will be disobedient once again. God sees and knows your sinfulness. He knows what you do late at night or on the weekends. You might be able to hide it from your friends and your family, but God sees it. And guys, he doesn't just see it, but he still loves you in the midst of it. Guys, from the beginning, the people of God are just plain stupid. I mean, I might be totally ignorant in thinking that, that I would be different, but come on. God literally comes down and talks to them face to face, and they say, ah, that's cool. I'm good. I think I have it down. I think I've got a better plan. Their decision-making skills are so terrible. I mean, if I were God, I would have been done with them so quickly. But instead, he redeems them. He redeems them out of their disobedience and rescues them from their bad decisions. Just as my dad saved me from the bad decision to turn and run from him, God comes and heals us from our own disobedience. When, when Abraham decide, decided to stop short of the promised land and settle in Haran, God doesn't just leave him there, but he picks him up out of that land and brings him into the promised land. And when Joseph's brothers decide to sell him into slavery, God doesn't give up on them, but he actually uses their own sinfulness, their own decision to sell Joseph into slavery to redeem them from famine. He uses Joseph to feed his people. And as Moses is rejected by the people, by they say, when they say, we don't want you as a leader, God develops him in his character in the wilderness and brings him back to redeem the people out of slavery. And we all try to act as if there, there's nothing wrong with the world or with us. But I think we all live with this deep-seated fear that there actually is something wrong. We see the anger and the division in, in the world around us as people kill and abuse one another. And we see the brokenness in ourselves as we live in anxiousness that that one thing might be found out. That that gross sin in our lives might be revealed. And we try to ignore the signs, pretend that everything's okay, but we're just hiding from ourselves. Everything seems to be pointing to the reality of sin, but we just ignore it. 
because we don't want to deal with it at the moment. The problem that is keeping us from God is not our own sinfulness, but our decision to ignore it. And, and God has brought Jesus forward. He, he said, I am faithful. I will deliver you. Just come to me. Let me be your savior. And we say, no, I don't, I don't need a savior. I'm doing okay myself. Guys, we can come confidently before the God of the universe, even in the midst of our sin, because he is a faithful God. And he is ready to accomplish his purposes in your life. So finally, we're going to look at the culmination of faithfulness that is shown in Jesus. And Stephen finishes out his speech by, by calling out the sinfulness of the very people that he is being accused before. He's in front of the people that want to put him to death, and this is what he says. In verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but not who have not obeyed it. Stephen is calling out the people's pride and sinfulness. These are the ones who, who should be closest to holiness. But they are instead turning to their own ways, turning from God, and now they're ready to stone the very messenger of God. Guys, have you ever, have you ever looked at the tag on a shirt? It tells you exactly how to care for it. Wash it at this temp, dry it at this temp. Whether or not you can even dry it, I mean, who even looks at that anyways, but it's there. Check it. <laughs> Why do these people think that they have the authority to tell us what's best for that shirt? Because they made it. They know what went into making it, so they know how to care for it. They know how to bring about its full potential. They're not trying to keep it from its purpose. They're trying to bring about its purpose. And that's God's heart for you. He knows what's best because he created you. He formed your very parts. He knows how to care for your soul and bring about your flourishing and accomplish your purposes. And he's given that to us. In the Bible, it says that the word is everything that we need for faithfulness and godliness. So if we knew that, what is keeping us from cherishing the very thing that God has used to reveal our souls? What we need is not to fill ourselves with our own desires, to have a nice, comfortable life, but what we really need is to be in the presence of our Creator. In God is where fullness of joy is found, and the further we move from his presence, the, the further that we will be from the experience 
of the goodness that he has to offer. Did you notice what Stephen says in the middle of calling out their unfaithfulness? He tells them that they persecuted and killed Jesus. But he he doesn't call him Jesus. He he calls him the righteous one. Now, why would he he use that title for him? That's, That's not something that we often see as a reference to Jesus in the Bible. But I think what Stephen is pointing out is that Jesus' character is so in contrast to the characters of the Bible. He's pointing out that Jesus is righteous. Literally, he does the right thing. And as if Stephen is saying, not only did you not do the right thing, but you killed the only one who ever has. The problem is that we are broken. And in our brokenness, we're dirty. And we're we're trying to clean up ourselves. We're trying to be cleaned by these other things. But the problem is, dirty can't clean dirty. (laughs) And Jesus says this. He says that sin doesn't originate outside of us, but it, it originates in our hearts. And so we can't clean up because to clean up would mean to go to the very core of who we are. There would be nothing left of us if we were to simply clean out the dirty parts. Because God is completely holy. He is light, and in him there is no darkness. And in our sin, we are that darkness. Guys, have you ever noticed darkness residing in sunlight? No, because it can't live there. And that's the same as God's righteousness. It can't live in the midst of sinners, of dirty people. We can't stand in the holiness of God because it would utterly destroy us. We couldn't be cleaned by God because his nature is so against evil that it would wipe us out. But guys, this is the good news that Jesus came down and paid the price for our sin. And he wasn't dirty at all. He lived this righteous life. He was the righteous one. And so he had the power to clean us up, to make us righteous once more. Jesus' faithfulness on our behalf has cleansed us of the unrighteousness and allowed God to, to come in and be faithful to his people. And this is the Jesus who walked the earth, who walked it completely righteously. From the beginning, he rejected the temptations that came came his way. From the devil tempting him in the wilderness to, to give his power to do the wrong thing. To the people coming and trying to drag him to Jerusalem to be their king all the way to denying even his own life on the cross. He understood God's will for his life. And he followed it to the end, giving up everything in the process so that he could clean us. 
the very people that put him up on the cross. And that once again, we could come before God. And Jesus can be the, complete, the completion of our faithfulness because he is that righteous one. He can therefore take on our own punishment and he can be our representative because he remains faithful to the end, because he is fully God. He lived the perfect life even as we turned his back on, our back on him and allowed him to take our place on the cross. Unlike us who are completely unable to remain faithful to God, Jesus is completely unable to be unfaithful to us. And he actually has the power to, to tell the wind and the waves where to go. Unlike me, who, who just thought I could be magical, Jesus actually has that power. And that's why he can, he can take this place as the righteous one, because he is God. Guys, we turned and rejected the author of life, the righteous one. This was the ultimate example of our unfaithfulness. But it's also the ultimate example of God's faithfulness towards us. He uses this, this very act of our own unfaithfulness to show his great faithfulness. And he uses the rejection of his son for his good purposes to bring us in, to clean us, to heal us. And I could end the sermon here. I could repeat the words of Stephen to you to get your act together, to stop being unfaithful to God, to stop being unfaithful to the righteous Savior. But that's not where the story ends. The story ends with Stephen, rejected by the religious elites and ready to be stoned to death. But even as they're, they're raising their stones to kill him, he knows the end is near. And yet what comes out of his mouth is not curses, but blessings and forgiveness. Stephen doesn't reject the people he doesn't hold their sin over them, but he shows them forgiveness. How is he able to do that? It's because he knows the heart of Jesus. He knows the end of the story. He knows that Jesus himself was dragged out of the city just like him. He was cruelly tortured to death on a cross by the very same people who who are before Stephen. But rather than, than bringing the rightful wrath of God upon them, Jesus poured out his forgiveness. He took our place on the cross as he does now in heaven, interceding for us and allowing God's righteousness to dwell with unrighteous people. Guys, we are the very same people that brought Jesus to the cross. We carry that same sin and rebellion inside of us. We reject and turn away from the truth of the Bible to live our own lives. 
to live by our own standards, and we quarrel and fight with one another, and we grieve God. He is grieved by our sin. But you know what he's not grieved by is us. He wants to remain faithful to you. He loves you. And Jesus is inviting you, unfaithful, rebellious people, into the kingdom tonight. Not based on your own righteousness, but based on the faithfulness that Jesus showed. Stephen wasn't any different than the men that murdered him. He, he was a man just like them, and he, so he had that same disobedience inside of him. And, and what made him different was that he had come to the foot of the cross. He had seen Jesus portrayed for all the world to see, stripped naked, abused, tortured, dying, breathing his last breath. And he gazed up at the broken body of Jesus and he fell in love with a God whose faithfulness covered his own sin. And in the process, he got caught up in a love so big, a story so great that it was worth dying for. And even more than that, it was worth living for. And guys, I, I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of my unfaithfulness. I'm tired of knowing that I'm doing the wrong thing over and over again. I'm tired of trying to rely on my own strength because I suck at it. Guys, I'm tired. Aren't you? What Jesus is offering us is to to give up on all that we are trying to do in ourselves and to just look to him and say, God, you're faithful. I trust that. I want you. What God can do is transform us unfaithful people into faithful people by looking at the faithfulness that he showed. And slowly, we might be transformed into people like Stephen who live our lives based on the faithfulness of God. Let's pray that God would make us more like Stephen by dwelling on the faithfulness of Christ. Father, thank you for the faithfulness that you have showed to us. God, I've been so unfaithful. I've been so unlovable. And yet you continue to pursue me You continue to show your faithfulness to us. God, would we be reminded of your faithfulness and would would that be what carries us through to the end? Would we not be a people marked by our own ability to come to you, but would we be marked by people that are loved by God? That are in such pursuit of him because he has first loved us. God, would you transform us unfaithful people by your own faithfulness and your own desire to love us. We pray this all in your name. Amen.